Good afternoon, everybody. And uh, thank you very much for spending your time and your session time with me. I know you have a very large array of places you could go, and I feel very honored to have you come to my session and to come and listen to me speak today. So thank you very much, and I really appreciate that. My name is Mandis Mombar. I am a partner solutions architect with AWS. And other than being a huge computer nerd, I'm also a really big Star Trek fan. <laughs> and today I want to speak to you about what it is to digitally transform your business, right? We all know that digital transformation is at a key point in our time that it has become a necessity in our businesses. If you do not digitally transform the way that you do your business and the way that you run your business, you are completely at risk of being usurped from your throne by companies that are completely cloud-native and what we have come to refer to as cloud-native designed companies. Digital disruption has become a thing because the cloud has become a thing. And without me going into too much technical detail around the six Ds of disruption, let's talk about a case study, a really well-known case study of how a single company was able to, to digitize and disrupt their whole industry is Airbnb. Airbnb has, in a very short period of time, become the biggest hotel chain in the world without owning a single piece of property. They were capable of doing this by democratizing the way that the industry works. They put the possibility of being a, a hotel owner in the hands of an everyday consumer. And they placed the power of becoming, and owning, uh, becoming a person that goes and rents a space to sleep at or a place to stay at in the consumer, but also a direct feedback loop to the owner of that location. This industry disruption changed the way that the hotel industry works and how the hotel industry looks in the whole world. Netflix is another example of this, where Netflix basically on their own put major DVD rental and video rental store chains around the world out of business. So what made these companies capable of doing these acts? How did they get to a point where they were able to disrupt an industry so significantly that they became the poster child of that industry? Well, it wasn't an easy thing to achieve. Everybody knows that they want to digitize their business in order to become a disrupting influence like companies like Airbnb and Netflix, but they just can't get to that point. They usually are bogged down by a large amount of technical debt. They have in-house technical skill that isn't identified or translatable to the technologies that made companies like Airbnb successful. They cannot adopt the technological marvels or the at the same technological pace that the industry is exposing new technologies and new services for them to adopt. So companies set out on this journey to digitally transform themselves. And it usually takes the form of a really large and long winding road. It's at this point where this winding road becomes a detriment to the adoption of that new technology. Buzzwords like automation, CICD, containerization, scalability and availability, 
become the building blocks of new processes in businesses. And as they start getting these buzzwords and they start going through the journey and the road starts winding more and more, they usually introduce new problems into their business. It's usually technological challenges that opens up more security gaps. It actually slows the way they provision their infrastructure or they slow their provisioning process of deploying applications instead of accelerating it. And they usually go through this, this period of time where they refer to it as the migration bubble, where they have a higher cost of running their infrastructure than what they used to when they were running the infrastructure on their own uh, in the data center. So along this road, as they start hearing these buzzwords, they get to meet these three guys. Because these three guys that I will introduce to you in a couple of seconds is what the industry has come to define as the building blocks or the three pillars that cloud-native businesses are built on top of. The first one is elasticity. What is the capability of your business and your application to elastically scale based on the requirements of your customers? This is a key thing to your business because it means that you only pay for the resources that you need when you need them. It allows your business to stay lean, to stay agile, and it allows you to run a, a comprehensive infrastructure that serves millions of customers and reservations a day like Airbnb with a resource team of five people. Hand in hand with elasticity becomes, becomes availability. Are you sure that when your customer hits your product and your service or, your, or, your, or opens up your website, that that website will be available. Because you know that if your website is not available when your customer is looking for that product to buy or to use, they'll just go to your closest competitor, which could be a startup that was started by two or three guys in a garage somewhere that is available. So with availability, you need to be able to run your, your application in a comprehensive manner. Scale across multiple regions, scale across multiple data centers, and you need to design an architect for failure, not just in your application, on your application level, but also on your infrastructure level. And I guess most importantly would be agility. How quickly can you introduce new technologies into your business and your application to satisfy the needs of your customers? Machine learning and artificial intelligence is setting the trend for how customers interact with business products and services. And if you're not agile enough in your business methodologies and the way that you're building your applications, if you cannot introduce these new technologies, then your customers won't get the best experience with your product. And most likely, they will move on to your competitor who is more agile and is capable of introducing those new technologies. So in availability in AWS, we've made that a little bit easier for you. With our abstraction of our networking and infrastructure layer, we have multiple regions around the globe. And you can launch your applications with confidence into our AZs, that is multiple data centers, for you to be highly available. So we fix this problem of high availability for you so that you don't need to go and build multiple data centers around the world. You can easily just deploy your applications into AWS. But how do you actually manage all of these applications? 
A customer like 3M, for example, built a comprehensive deployment tool and provisioning process inside of their business. And they were able to bring their availability up to a, a staggering number to where they used to be. They can now provision servers in, in a couple of minutes where it used to take them 10 weeks or even more. But just provisioning the infrastructure is half of the question. It's easy to say that I have all of this infrastructure available and my application can now run in multiple regions and multiple data centers and I can always fail over if something happens. But at scale, this becomes a problem. At scale, if you're serving millions of customers over thousands of pieces of infrastructure, how do you manage that infrastructure? And how do you make sure that each region and each environment that you are deploying into is uniform and with confidence that when you deploy that application in that environment, that it will always return the exact same result? I mention environments here because it has become more apparent for our customers that on-premises deployments are just as important to them as deployments into the cloud. And for them to truly adopt the cloud-native principles and find success in the cloud, they need to have confidence that the environment that the developers are building against, whether it's on their laptops, deploying on an on-premises deployment or testing cluster, or pushing into production into the cloud, it needs to be uniform. The industry, with one of those new groundbreaking technologies, has responded with the technology called containers. So what are containers? Containers, like many things in our world, is a very subjective thing. If you ask an infrastructure engineer what containers are, they will tell you that it is a sandboxed application that just shares your Linux OS kernel and that it is, it is a simpler and a more lightweight form of virtual, for virtualization. But most importantly for infrastructure engineers, it is a portable infrastructure piece that they can ship across multiple environments. When you speak to your application developers, they get excited because it tells them that they can package their applications and all of their dependencies for that application into a single build block unit. And they can easily pass that build block unit onto their infrastructure engineers to deploy that application and with confidence know that this application will be running in the new environment. So to containerize your code is the industry standard for modernizing your application stacks. And modernizing your applications is a key part to digitizing the business your business and digitizing the way that you work with uh, your business. Now, we have estimated that about 75% of all legacy applications can be containerized without major refactoring of the application code, which means that with access to your original source code, you can containerize that, that application and run that application in a native container without refactoring the way that that application works. It usually involves making very minor changes like exposing environment variables, environment variables to config sets inside of that application. And the moment that you have containerized that application, you suddenly become more capable of deploying that application at scale. So with multiple deployments, you are now capable of pushing this into multiple environments and run 
that highly available application with a highly elastic manner. And because you're building against containers, your development cycle is faster, so you have that agility that makes customers and people like Netflix and Hulu successful. So agility with DevOps usually takes a form like this. A developer will have an environment on his local laptop or development environment, and he will build and code against a source repository. That source repository will be picked up by a CI-CD platform or engine, and that CI-CD engine will build all of your business logic, your testing, your security tests, your pen tests and unit tests, and do all of that heavy lifting and that undifferentiated heavy lifting on your behalf, package it into a container, run some more tests, and then deploy it into your specific environments, like an on-premises environment, a cloud environment, or even a hybrid environment. Now, we all know that this is where we want to be. Everybody understands that you know, this is what the future looks like, and to truly become cloud native and to be agile enough, you need to look into automation and to how you can build more agile pipelines. But on this winding road, it's a really difficult thing to achieve. Many people, especially some of our enterprise customers, don't have that in-house knowledge of setting up complex deployment pipelines. Or they don't have the complex knowledge of managing container deployments at scale. They also don't understand the orchestration and the provisioning of the hardware that is required for these containers to successfully and agilely run in an environment. Well, we are glad to say that we have partnered with some exceptional application platform partners. And therefore, we have some help for you to make that a lot easier. So an application platform is a unified place where you can go to a single point of reference that provides you with all of the benefits that we have just spoken about. An application platform allows you to accelerate your development cycles, iterate faster on your code, get feedback from customers, implement those changes, and put them out as fast, almost as fast as customers can respond. Or as CVEs get released, you can code them in and patch them in almost immediately. Because an application platform abstracts some of the heavy lifting required in the orchestration of things like containers and the deployment of applications, the adoption of an application platform is also a lot easier. Which means that if you introduce an application platform into your existing business, you don't have to go through a significant retraining of your developer or system engineers to use this application platform. Again, faster iteration becomes a paramount part of application platforms. But very powerful to our customers is that they get pre presented with a unified experience. What do I mean with a unified experience? I mean that when you deploy your application using an application platform like this, your on-premises deployment and your cloud deployment become seamless to the consumers of that platform. Your developers and your systems engineers work on the, on the platform in the same manner that they would on either of the two env environments. Your management layer for things like role-based access control, to limit what a developer can develop against, what databases he can access against, what 
sources he's allowed to use and whatnot, all gets managed for you through this platform. The same goes for your network security, your VPC provisioning, and all of the things that you have come to know that you need to retrain your engineers on. You get into the position where you can tell your developers that they all only need to focus on their code. We have spoken to our customers and to their developers, and they all tell us one thing. They don't want to care about the infrastructure. They don't want to care about the CI-CD platform. They just want to give us their code. They want us to deploy it, and they don't care how. With extensive partnerships with our partners Pivotal and Red Hat, we have deeply integrated AWS native services into platforms like, cloud, uh, like uh, Pivotal Cloud Foundry and Red Hat OpenShift. Both these platform partners have provided an easy, deployable software solution that can deploy your applications onto an AWS environment or in a hybrid environment with ease, abstracting all of the undifferentiated heavy lifting that you would have needed to do on your own. In June of this year, we announced that we have an extended alliance agreement with Red Hat, specifically around Red Hat OpenShift. And together with the Red Hat OpenShift team, we have been working on building an AWS service broker that will deeper integrate native AWS services into, into the OpenShift container platform. By leveraging an application platform like OCP, your application and your infrastructure now becomes a set of code. Your application developer can define every requirement and every dependency that it would need for that container to effectively work, for example, a database, and define that in a simple set of YAML instructions. That YAML instructions, or those YAML instructions, are completely reusable and idempotent. This means that one set of YAML uh, instructions can be deployed to an on-premises cluster or a cluster running on AWS, and the result of that deployment will be exactly the same. It is reusable because snippets of that YAML can be defined, copied out, and reused in a different application's def definition when a different team is building against their application. So if you have multiple teams in your, in your business organization building applications, even different technologies, one team could be using Node.js for a business application and the other one could be using Golang. But they both use an RDS-backed database for their application. They can reuse the code snippets defining the RDS database inside of the YAML for both applications without needing to spend extensive time in redefining that YAML spec definition. So together with our partners, we have made the deployment of these platforms on AWS a lot easier. We have a Pivotal Cloud Foundry quick start that will completely deploy a production-available deployment within under two hours, a manual installation by a pro-serve Pivotal, uh, Pivotal Solutions architect can take up to two days. A Pivotal Cloud Foundry quick start will deploy in two hours. Our Red Hat OpenShift container platform 
automatically provisions the infrastructure required, sets up auto scaling groups, and deploys in under 30 minutes. Building on top of the work that the OpenShift team has already done on the Ansible OpenShift playbooks that they built for the platform. So leveraging these application platforms allow you to focus on your product and not the things around it. Game theory defines and says there are two types of games. The first type of game is the infinite game. The infinite game is where you focus on your business values, where you focus on the things that makes your business unique, the things that your customers have come to expect and respect about your business. A company like Airbnb would look at a value as a, a, a part of their infinite game value as being a tenant to make hotel finding and hotel booking easier for their customers. The second type of game is a finite game. And the finite game makes you focus on your competitors. It makes you focus on who is doing things that you aren't doing. And you're constantly trying to adopt technologies and ways of working like that your competitors are working on because you think that doing and mimicking what they're doing is going to get you to the same place where they are. So a finite game would be, how do we beat Airbnb? If you're playing the infinite game and you leverage an application platform that is built by industry standards, that is built by the experience of thousands of software engineers, infrastructure engineers, and leverage the knowledge and skill of our partners like Red Hat, you can focus on what makes your business unique and not worry about what technologies your competitors are using. <coughs> so let's do a quick insight check. For years you have heard that people tell you that you should adopt native AWS services and that you should build net new applications and refactor applications for the cloud. In many cases, this is still true. But for an acceleration of your adoption of the cloud, an application platform provides just enough abstraction to give you that success without constantly having to substantially refactor your applications. A platform on AWS provides you with a faster adoption of cloud. It allows you to deploy in hybrid environments and it allows you to provide a unified developer experience to your customers and to your users. Some of the key tenets and business drivers behind why customers will adopt a platform on AWS is because they already have legacy tech debt. Tech debt that they cannot necessarily, necessarily immediately retire. This allows you to replatform that technical debt evacuate whatever environment it is that you want to evacuate and adopt the cloud. You might have weak DevOps talent or knowledge inside of your business. Or you are midway through a digital transformation process that took you down a substantial winding road that is bogging you down and causing more burden than relief. We're not leaving you with only that. We have placed some superchargers next to this winding road to help you make this road a little more straight and for you to go down this road a little bit easier. As I said earlier, as a part of our extended agreement and alliance with Red Hat, we have substantially invested in the AWS service broker. 
The AWS Service Broker is built around the Open Service Broker API. The Open Service Broker API is a specification, an industry standard specification, that has been adopted by Kubernetes, Cloud Foundry, and OpenShift to allow for third-party service provisioning inside of their platforms. What this means is that using the AWS Service Broker together with a platform like OpenShift Container Platform, you can provision native AWS services through the platform. You will never need to get your developer to go and provision an S3 bucket by going into the AWS console or to use the CLI. The developer can define that as a resource inside his code definition or inside the, the OpenShift container platform, and the OpenShift container platform will provision, set up, secure, and connect that resource to his application. It almost becomes as simple as using an Alexa skill. The developer basically just says, service broker, give me an S3 bucket, and the service broker will respond with what he needs. So this week, we are open sourcing the first leg of our open service broker. We have a launch catalog that introduces 10 native AWS services to the AWS service broker and to the application platforms that consume the AWS service broker. The 10 services are on screen right now. But I am personally very excited about services like RDS that allows an, a managed database service to be provisioned completely and securely following the best practices as, as described by AWS, provisioned automatically through the platform, secured, and then the platform will return the credentials required for the database connections to the application. Services like Amazon Athena, which allows you to natively query large data sets without the provisioning of any infrastructure. The service broker will reach out, create the service DDL for you as you specified it, and you can run queries using the JDBC connection that allows you to query data in S3 using the Amazon Athena engine. This significantly reduces the amount of knowledge that your users and your customers that are using this application development platform needs to know about the AWS infrastructure and the way that AWS works. Your infrastructure engineers gets the ability to configure their application platform in a secure manner. They can segregate what credentials are being provisioned to what service. You can also limit what services should be allowed to get deployed by the platform. We have 10 services today. And in a couple of months, all and most of our AWS native services will be natively available through the AWS Service Broker. But you as the platform owner will still have complete control over which of these services can be provisioned by the users inside of your environment. If you do not want to provide access to a specific group of developers, to, for example, M Amazon SQS, you, sh you simply do not give them or simply do not list that service in the, in the service catalog that is deployed to the platform. To make it a little bit easy for you to understand, I have a quick demo that's about three minutes long that'll show you what a process like this would look like.
my. There we go. <laughs> See, you think you try and not do a live demo because a video would be better, and then the video doesn't play. That's always great. Uh, huh. There we go. <laughs> I obviously did not give my, there we go, okay. So in this demo, I'm using the OpenShift container platform. Uh, I'm using the upstream version OpenShift. And what I just did is I created a quick project. And this project is now, I'm asking it to now provision an Amazon SQS queue. So inside this, I'm basically specifying in which region I want the SQS queue to be provisioned. And I have a, a couple of other options that I can set as a developer to determine how this SQSQ should work. I also instruct the platform to not bind this SQSQ that gets provisioned to any application at that time because I don't have any applications running or applications that I'm developing. The platform, as you see here, automatically reaches out to our AWS service broker and using the AWS service broker and our CloudFormation service, we provision the Amazon SQS resources that you will consume here. Once the service has been provisioned inside of OpenShift, as you can see there, we can now deploy a sample application. So a quick sample application deployment, we have a uh, development and testing application that we test SQS against. And all this SQS uh, test does is it basically connects to the SQS queue and then returns a couple of values that we determine based of the API responses. Here you can see that we are deploying our containers and we are de the containers are now deploying into the environment. If we need to inspect any of these containers, if anything went wrong, we can look at the logs. We also have an, uh, an event list that can tell us exactly what's going on. And here you can see the deployed application. Now, I want to stress that nothing is sped up in this environment. This is one continuous recording that I have not sped up. This is real time. The application has now been deployed, and I need to connect the SQS service that I provisioned through the service broker. That's all the information that CloudFormation returned for the service provisioning. I select the application that I want to bind it to. And the platform automatically now attaches that to the application container that is running my application. It also automatically triggers the redeployment of that container so that the new environment credentials gets deployed into the pod. If I now go and refresh my sample application, you can see that all of the false uh, triggers now flip to true because uh, the application can successfully connect to SQS. Now, just to prove to you that I didn't do anything shady, there you can see the SQS queue and the AWS console. There you can see the CloudFormation templates that we have provisioned or that we've used to provision uh, the AWS uh, services. Right. So what is important here? The most important thing that to understand here is that I entered the AWS console as a proof to you to show that the SQS services deployed as expected. 
As a developer using your application platform or as a systems engineer working on your applications platform, you will never need to go into the AWS console to provision and consume these services. We have done extensive work to make sure that the CloudFormation templates that we use to power the provisioning of native AWS services adhere to the best practices as prescribed by the AWS standards. So every time that you deploy and provision a service using the AWS Service Broker, you can be confident that it adheres to all of the things that we want it to adhere to in a cloud-native environment. We do all of the differentiated heavy lifting on your part. We set up the IAM users. We set up the roles. We set up the permissions. We set up the security and encryption and everything based on the requirements that you would need and want to trust in your cloud environments. I want to call out that the AWS Service Broker does not need to be deployed inside an AWS environment for you to use it. The AWS Service Broker can be deployed on an on-premises deployment, and you can provision and consume native AWS services using your on-premises deployment of your application platform. The service that you provision will still be residing in AWS, which is in the cloud, but the management and the control will be completely accessed inside of your on-premises environment. If you bind this in a hybrid environment with some of the services like Direct Connect, you get a seamless experience between your on-premises data center and your cloud. With such a seamless differentiation that your developers basically don't even need to know where the infrastructure is running that their application is being deployed on. We have made a significant investment in the way that the service broker is continuing to grow. And as I said, we will deploy more services into the service broker in the near future. The customer feedback on the service broker is also paramount to us. And more feedback that we get from our customers while consuming our services through application platforms will make us capable of building a more well-defined service broker. How difficult is it for you to start working with application platforms? Last week, we launched a dedicated partner page on the AWS website that introduces application platforms. And this page will have a detailed set of instructions and listed partners that you can reach out to on how to deploy and provision these application platforms in AWS. We have contact forms that you can fill out and use so that we can set up and work with you on certain of these infrastructures. We have a running POC program with Red Hat, that we will work with you and give credits towards a POC deployment of OpenShift Container Platform with you, your partners, or any of your customers. The application platform is a landing page where you can get the information for that POC program. You can submit your request, and we will review it. And if successful, we will engage your customer with you and help them become more successful in adopting AWS services using the Red Hat OpenShift platform. My talk today and my demo today is a very condensed version 
of a more comprehensive webinar that we had a couple of weeks ago. The webinar is available online on YouTube, and you can access it with that link. It has an in-depth explanation of how the service broker works, the uh, provisioning process of how you can provision a platform like OpenShift on AWS using AWS Quick Starts, as well as an, a more in-depth view of the actual service broker itself. On Wednesday, we are open sourcing the AWS service broker code itself. That will be available on github.com in our AWS, AWS Labs repository. This is an important factor in the service broker. The way that the service broker is built today allows you to check out the code from a public repository, repository like GitHub, modify that code, for example, change the provisioning mechanism in the, in the CloudFormation template, or change specific small parameters inside of that CloudFormation template that we use to provision the services, build a container of your own for that specific service, and deploy that in your environment. That gives you extended control over how resources gets deployed into AWS using your, your service broker. Every service broker that we are building, or every section of the service broker that we are building, will be open source and will stay open sourced. You will always have full control over the, the, vision, the provisioning platform and how your resources get deployed inside of your environment. Any security issues or risks that you might have will be mitigated by the full transparency of what we do in the service broker. We are very excited about the next journey that we are setting out on using application platforms to accelerate the digital transformation of our customers partners. And we hope you are ex ex excited about it as well. And I invite you to please reach out to us if you have more questions or need information about our OpenShift pl uh, platform partners and POCs and our other application platforms as well. So in conclusion, I just want to thank everybody for spending their afternoon with me. I know that 4 o'clock on an afternoon at an event like this can be taxing. <laughs> and again, I know that you guys had many choices to go to and to who you need to listen to. But I really appreciate that you came out to us today. And I hope that after this session, you have a little bit more of a clear understanding about how digital transformation will impact your business and the business of your customers, and how you can accelerate their adoption of AWS services that have made other businesses so successful by using application platforms like the OpenShift container platform.